You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, it's Nick here. It's Monday evening, October the 4th, and I hope you've been enjoying our daily shows every weekday morning, bringing you the sharpest insight, latest news, and best interviews from around the world of horse racing. But it is the eve of Tattersall's Book One Yearling Sale, the most talked about sale in the UK this year so far. And with that in mind, it's the big one. It is the perhaps most important episode yet of Tattersall's Bloodstock Bulletin with your host, Gina Bryce. Hello and welcome along to the Bloodstock Bulletin with me, Gina Bryce, and Tattersalls as you join us in what will be our final instalment of this mini-series in the run-up to book one of the Tattersalls October Yearling Sale, which gets underway next Tuesday, of course. In this episode, we'll be getting the lowdown on potential Japanese involvement in the sale with Tattersalls representative and racing journalist Nohiro Goda. And what a great time to welcome him to the show, not only because it's an opportunity to learn so much about the market trends of the Japanese buying internationally, but also he gives us a little insight into Japan's two leading hopes in the pre-Delarc de Triomphe this weekend. We'll hear from David Redvers as well on two Tween Hill stallions with first crop yearlings, Zoo Star, and in the case of Roaring Lion, um, his only crop to feature in book one next week. Incidentally, there are yearlings by both stallions amongst an always standout Fittick stud draft and will shine the spotlight on a potential box office lot from one of their foundation families with Sarah Kamani. And it's a double bonus for us this week because we'll be speaking to two book one bonus winning entities, Sir Mark Prescott and the Crisfords. But first, as always, we welcome in this week's Bloodstock commentator and journalist Nancy Sexton. And Nancy, speaking from Ireland in the wake of the Goffs Orby sale, we might just start, if we can, with a temperature check on what's been happening over there this week. Hats off to Goffs making it work. You know, it was very well documented that last year was a challenging renewal and it was totally different this year. You know, the, the market held up well, the clearance rate was strong, the median um, was even stronger than 2009 and way up, obviously, from last year. So the standard of horse was good and buyers responded. Um, they did a great job getting the Americans in, as I'm sure Tattersalls will do again next week. And they were, you know, in a market that is lacking Mapchim investment or heavy Mapchim investment. Um, it was very welcome and good to see such a broad depth of buyers. And I think it obviously follows on from what was a remarkable couple of weeks at Keeneland as well in the US. Pointers seem to be good that despite COVID and despite the lull last year, mm. and obviously with the loss of, as you mentioned, those huge owner breeders, it, it seems to be holding up very well. I was actually out in Keeneland and I've never seen a market like it. Um, I mean, from right from the start of book one, deep into book five there was huge competition for horses um and from an array of buyers domestically internationally whether you know people are coming out of covid having not been able to spend or just thinking you know we'll just go for it um and of course in america you can make money racing horses and, and quite easily but 
I mean, we were trying to buy freezers to come back and it was really hard. I mean, you end up looking at most of the catalogue and you're not getting near horses. And, you know, in book five, you know, tends to drop off. But I mean, you go out into the back walking ring and there'd be 10 deep watching them and bidding away. And it was really good to see and a great atmosphere. And um, I can see it translating certainly over to Tassels. Um, and definitely in the higher markets for sure and what were some of the the takeouts or headlines if you like I noticed obviously just having a brief look through the results that we we saw the kind of rise of some of these cult syndicate which is quite interesting Mm. and and I guess makes it very competitive at the top end which in turn probably filters the money down a little bit yes they these cult syndicates have been gaining momentum in the US I mean SF and Donato Lani and um, that group um, they call themselves the Avengers. They've they've been doing this for quite a while. And this year, um, Bradley Wiseboard and Liz Crow's group, they've got some very strong spenders behind them. They came in in a big way. And yes, as you say, they, they were big players at the top of the market and also buying deep into the later books as well. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, they're spending a lot of money at the outset, but they really only need one to hit. And get a you know Stalin deal on the table, and it's paid for them, and maybe with interest. So it's you know it's, it's, a, it's a concept that's been around for a while, but we're seeing more and more people doing it. And it'll be interesting to see if anybody sort of takes up the baton and runs with it in, in October. Um, whether we see the likes of Jacob West or I think Liz Crow is, is certainly coming. Whether they take that angle or whether they stick to buying you know the, the value turf horse that can go on and run out there like she did with Aunt Pearl so it's certainly an angle that's underpinning the American market at the moment um, and it'd be interesting to see if you know if it starts to do so over here. Yeah very much so and I saw Kenny McPeak um, was particularly active in Ireland this week and he mentioned a Frankel that he'd bought and referenced that it could be a stallion so there obviously seems to be a bit of a shift in in potentially thinking about that angle in the US. Do you think there's been a shift in general towards that turf program and, and developing that um, by sourcing in in the in Europe in general. Um, I think so. I mean, there, there's been a tremendous amount of investment in the American turf program recently, um, and you really can run for an awful lot of money out there now. Are they as commercial um, as the traditional dirt horse? No, um, but that could come. It will take a while, but. I think everybody's just seen how well Mike Ryan's done out of Tassels. And, you know, you've, you know, McPeak, you know, coming over to Goss and hopefully coming away with some half decent animals out of that. Um, they, when it comes to standing them at stud, the, the top dollar is still commanded by these good dirt horses. But we, you know, I think Kitten's Joy and the likes of Morgan Ready and Spite Stamps, Daughter's Humor, they've, sort of turned it around a little bit and yeah I mean it's, it's obviously very good for the breed when you get sort of more dimensions to a market and more dimensions to the thoroughbred as a whole 
Really look forward to seeing how that plays out next week. And Vendels at Tattersalls will, of course, very much be hoping that that buoyancy seen at the other sales does continue through next week. And, and why wouldn't it with the usual star-studded catalogue for Europe's premier yearling sale? And that will be welcome news for Fittix Stud, who can sign a draft of 10 yearlings. And as we bring in a stud manager, Sarah Kumani, uh, Sarah, I thought we'd hone in on a potential box office lot, um, lot 101, amongst, I guess, any number who could qualify for that tag. Uh, your Galileo cult out of Cura from a family steeped in Fittick stud history. Uh, just tell us first about the story uh, behind this family and your involvement in it. Yeah, well, the history goes back to, it really goes back to um, Kayazi, because when when Kayazi was showing himself to be a pretty pretty nice horse, um, it, he was a two-year-old, and it happened that Kalata uh, went through the sales that year as a two-year-old, and I can't remember what we paid for her, but we picked her up relatively inexpensively. Um, and she was, well, thanks to Kayazi, she was really the beginning of us being involved with that family. Um, and then Kalata produced Kathanga. Uh, Kathanga then produced Milan, who won the St. Ledger for the O'Brien team, um, and went on to be a stallion. Uh, there was also Carpino in the in the family who we heard was they thought a huge amount of, and he sadly had to be retired from racing because he got injured. Um, we then Katanga then has I think she has some staggering number of folds, eighteen folds or something, and her last her very last foal was Cora, um, and she did very well for us. She won some time, and she's a, a lovely big rangy pivotal mare and definitely one that was going to be kept uh, and then she's her first her first foe Kimari um, one, of Ascot, one of the Queen's Wars of Ascot this year so it's all gone very well for us um, he's running in the uh, Chaudonnet on Saturday in Paris um, he won the Queen's Wars he then put up a rather puzzling performance at, at York but he I think they think he's a lovely horse and I think they're hoping he'll stay as a four year, a four year old and hopefully he'll run well in Paris on Saturday. And Sarah, a big day. Uh, absolutely. Good luck with him. And, and he is by Dubawi. You had a couple of Dubawis and a, and a Kingman. This cult by Galileo, was that, a, was that an easy decision um, to make? Yes. Um, when, you, when you have sort of superstar mares, the decisions are expensive, but, but not very difficult. Um, her two Dubawis are very similar to each other. Neither of them were great walkers like, like most Dubawis. Um, and um, out from under did actually win, but he got disqualified. So that was that was a huge shame. But anyway, this mayor, I mean, Pivotal and Galileo, we all know, is, is one of the best crosses in the book. Uh, he's everything you'd expect a Galileo to be. He's, we, we love him. <laughs> he's very Galileo-ish to look at. He walks well, he x-rays well, he scopes well, he does, he does everything well. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens at the sales. But we're very excited about him. Really, because I think, you know, going forward, I think he'll be a, a wonderful resource for somebody. And added to the fact that there's 14, I think, Galileos in the catalogue, um, they are an increasingly or soon to be um, extinct commodity. Does that yeah. add a little bit of extra excitement going to the sales that you have one of these rare jewels, if you like, in the catalogue? Well, I'm sure Luke would be going around looking at all the other Galileo cults yeah. <laughs> and seeing, seeing how they compare. And yeah, I mean, one of the, the best standings of all time. There aren't, there aren't going to be any more. So it, it is exciting, yeah. 
and looking exactly. through the list of your uh, of your uh, yearlings for, for book one there are so many that I could have picked out so many families that breeders and, and owners and buyers alike have come to associate strongly with Fittick stud um, I just caught the eye of Shimonia, Shomaria who you bought from the Aga Khan a couple of years ago um, the mare there who's got the Lope de Vega in there um, other families that you're developing how do you go about selecting the, the sort of younger mares that you add to the broodmare band what are, what are the credentials you're looking for in the current market Sarah well we, we try and sort of keep refreshing our stock <clears throat> and um, we, we hope to buy a mare every year and um, yeah Luke has got various sort of various um, boxes that need need ticking and um one of the most important things is is a, a good walking attractive correct he's super super um um keen on making sure we get we buy very very correct horses because that does seem to to do one well going you know when you're getting yearlings um you want nice correct yearlings so correct mares is a start and and then we can't afford to buy everything we want so we have to we have to um let go on some things and and usually we let go on performance um so something from a good family and it doesn't really matter if it hasn't performed obviously it's preferable to at least be a winner but it's not something that worries us and we've we've always thought over time that it's it's the one um one necessity if, if you like that we are happy to give up on sort of thing because we can't afford to buy one that's done everything and look, looking through the list, there's quite a, a balance of, you know, you've got some of the speedier mares alongside some of the more classic types, equally with the stallions. Is that something that you try to achieve as well? Um, well, we're all, we're sort of, I think, traditionally more, more geared up to the sort of classic distances. And we're, we're more sort of in tune with, with mile, mile and a half pedigrees. We, we'd like the idea of buying some speedier mares because there are certain stallions that are beginning to do super well that that need speed and don't really suit some of our mares but then we're also very happy to go along the sort of more classic stallions uh, albeit they're the more expensive ones but um trying to breed the classic distance horses is what what really interests us and and pongi is one that always jumps out on the page for me it just um very, very uh, emblematic, if you like, of, of Fittick Stud, and, and she's done so well yeah. in the past for you. Well, uh, you've gone to Cracksman. Ponji is, is an absolute superstar. She, too, as you can see, has had lots of foals, lots of winners, and she's still, although she's the age she is, she still looks incredible and is producing really nice stock. And she's produced this Cracksman who we've always thought he was actually a, a poster boy for Dali as a foal. And he's, he's an absolute smashing individual in every way, so much so that um, we've actually sent her back to Cracksman. And we like to use proven sires, but she's been to every proven sire you could think of. So it's quite fun at her age and stage in life, and we're never going to sell her, to send her to um, experiments. <laughs> and she had a beautiful postponed who actually sadly died as a yearling, which is a great shame. But she's got this lovely Cracksman, and she's back and sold Cracksman. Um, and, and I've heard good things about Cracksman, so generally we're very excited. Well, he was a beautiful-looking horse, as you say himself, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and you've used a Roaring Lion and a, and a Zoo Star, I see, while we're on the subject of the kind of new stallions. They're in by clients, but um, again, two two very nice horses. And um, 
yeah, the roaring lion is, is just just as I imagine roaring lion might have looked like as a as a yearling, and he's again the our family, but he's owned by um, he's not owned by us, and the zoo star. If all the rest of the zoo stars look like her, they're going to be very exciting. And that is not a bad way to get us into our stallion in focus with David Redvers of Tween Hills, where Zoostar stands, and we look ahead to his first crop of yearlings, and of course where Roaring Lion stood when he conceived his first and only crop of horses as well. And David, I guess it's not a surprise to you the glowing terms used there by Mrs Kamali to describe the Zoostar stock. Well, and having had the benefit of seeing his um, his first crops in, in Australia and New Zealand over the last three or four years, it's, a, it's absolutely no surprise. And it's just fantastic to, to, to see his first European yearlings match his first Australasian ones. And just remind us for, for, for breeders and buyers over here, what he has achieved in Australia, because it's been quite remarkable, hasn't it? <clears throat> yeah, it's hard to overstate it, really. Um, he's the youngest stallion in the top. Um, Eshon of Stallions down there. He was champion first season side, broke all prize money records. Side two champions in his first crop. I think he's got uh, already got two Stallion sons at stud. He uh, sire of Sunlight. He was champion second season sire, um, champion third season sire, and I think champion fourth season sire. So I mean, he's he's topped every table the whole way through. He uh, he's he's just a, you know what we all look for really. He's an outstanding speed influence, um, but also this incredible physique and passes on his his, his physique. I mean the uh, you know the other European sales we've already seen you know, these enormous hips and heads and jaws and ears and you know they just look like they're running machines. And we know that it's quite a different market often in Australia to what we get here and in terms of the mares they get. What um, evidence have you seen from the mares he's been covering here that he's he's sort of going to replicate that in Australia? Have you been have you been pleased with how they've matched up to what he's received over there? Yeah, very much so. We've, um, we, I mean, I, I obviously look at every single one of them that comes up and having been fortunate enough to have Bought Zoo Sane and been involved with Sunlight. I've sort of recognised the common denominators in in the ones that have done well down there. Admittedly, for a much more speed-based programme, but he, um, you know, you, you see exactly the same thing here now. Um, funny enough, I give you an example of how that works. Sarah Kamani sent me through a video of her whole yearling string walking, and uh, and bet me I couldn't pick out the two zoo stars from the string just on my phone. Uh, I picked them both out and I thought it was really clever. Um, I, th- I think she was quite surprised. Yeah, I then, sh- I then showed the same video to Hannah Wall in my office. She immediately picked them out. I then showed the same video to Alice in my office, um, and uh, who's only been here in a year and a half or so and seen them uh, and wouldn't have seen anything like as many zoo stars as we have. And she immediately picked them out. I mean, there's such a an obvious swagger and um, and style to them that uh, once you know what to look for, it's pretty hard to miss them, really. Absolutely. Well, that bodes well. I look forward to seeing um, the eight that you've got in book one. Are you pleased with the ones coming to market and, and how pleased have you been with the ones you've got at home to, to race? Well, we've got we've got quite, quite a few. I mean, I think we've got about a dozen, maybe 15 to go into training. Um, that are all out of um, Sheikh Fahd's core mares. 
So those are um, the measures that are, you know, that are deemed core one and two um, that, are, that are specifically at home to breed racing stock. Um, we've got a few out of the commercial measures as well, but not that many. Um, but the ones we've got, we've got three that have uh, just landed in um, to Kentucky to go to the great Wesley Ward, um, who sent me a video of them all being rebacked in his stable by himself without a hat. Really, <laughs> real health, health and safety stuff, but um, very impressive all the same. Um, and they're exactly Wesley Ward's stamp of horse. You know, they're, they're, um, he came here and picked them out himself, the three that he wanted, uh, without looking at a pedigree and just, just fell in love with the types. So, um, yeah, we've, we've got a serious bunch going into training and we're, we'll be looking at every one. I earned a bit of uh, one in, in Ireland this week and um, you know, she was exactly what I would look for and just sadly didn't have enough money for her. Well, um, really exciting times ahead with him, as there is with Roaring Lion. And what you didn't hear uh, Mrs. Kamani say to me was that the fascination they've had in people wanting to see the Roaring Lion um, cult that they have in the draft. Do you find that there is a bit of a extra interest in him, obviously, because we only very sadly have that, that, that singular crop? Well, I've only ever been involved in one other horse that sort of got a following like Roaring Lion did. You know, he, had, he definitely had a fan club. Um, and um, you know, even now we we get letters from people and messages. So he had a, a genuine fan base um, because of the, those sort of trademark characteristics he had of you know will to win and that fantastic colour, the character that he he possessed and showed, and that we all fell in love with. Um, but also the fact you know you can't get away from the fact that he was a world champion, three-year-old and you know the um, Cartier Miler of the Year and. Um, you know, he was just a he was just a sensational horse in in what was, you know, a pretty tough year. So we've got um, yeah, everybody we we all we all look for him in every in every one of his stock. Um, I I you know, can't tell you how many lovely horses we've got here by him. I think Shapepad's got about thirty odd going to training. Um, uh, that are all out of our our own core mares, and we bought we bought a couple of the sales already, and we'll definitely be looking to buy a. A few more of the of the ones that sort of probably remind me and shape had most of the horse. Um, so we'll be um, we'll definitely be looking as will as will everybody else. And it was great to see that um, they're going down so well already. Yeah, the, the difficulty, and we have to be frank about this, is that there aren't any more crops to follow. So there isn't the sort of commercial drive behind him that there might be. Um, you know, if he if he had a big crop of foals to follow and a you know, and we needed to, to fill his book this year. And that's the thing. We, it's simply the love of the horse. Yeah. Um, and the love of his characteristics that's really driving the interest in him. Um, and, it, you know, if he can replicate those things, the, the slightly intangible things that you can't necessarily see when you're buying a yearling, but if he can replicate his heart, his will to win in his yearlings, um, uh, then we're in, for, we're in for a pretty exciting time. Well, it is uh, tinged with sadness that we will only see one crop of Roaring Lion, uh, but we do have the zoo stars to look forward to and really interesting to get David's thoughts there as we bring Nancy back in. And this is, of course, a really exciting time of year, isn't it, Nancy? I know you'll have been on the ground and you'll have seen a lot of these first crop stallions, both both sides of the Atlantic. What's really stood out for you so far? You know, the, the, I mean, it's wrong to use the word surprising, but the US Navy flags are... They look fast and they look early, as they they should do. I mean, he was such a fast early horse. And 
you know, sort of when you're talking about the likes of Justify and Saxon Warrior, obviously, you know, that's hugely exciting to see them. But to see sort of um, the horses like US Navy Flag and Sioux Nation, who didn't stand for, you know, huge amounts of money, they're, to me, they're producing really nice stock and stock that looks like they will be out early and, you know, running away and um, could work for either a breeze-up market or, you know, buying to race. Um, it'd be nice to see the Roaring Lions as well. Looking forward to seeing them at Taps because um, obviously there's some quite good, there's some well-bred ones as you'd expect. Um, and, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the Cracksmen's are turning out like. Um, yeah, have you we spoke to Sarah Kamani about she's she's got one in the draft who said was a cracking looking sort of poster boy if you like for for cracksman. Right. Um have you seen many and are they sort of frank or mold because he was such a good looking horse, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, I've seen quite a few. They they're good movers. He's such a good mover himself. Really covers the ground. I mean, I don't think they're going to be particularly early, but then you wouldn't expect them to be. Um and it it would be fascinating to see how Frank will develops as a sire of sires. I mean, he's already looking like a very good broodmare sire, as you, you know, you'd expect, considering the books, early books he covered. But, um, you know, his legacy now is, you know, taking into another chapter. And um, so the cracksman's, you know, going to be that early barometer, isn't he? Absolutely. And um, it's always a, a bit of a turning point as well for, for stallions that are coming of age. Obviously, we, we couldn't use that analogy for Franco, who's very much <laughs> come of age and might be crowned champion sire for the first time this year. But are there any that you feel uh, might come into their own this year, if you like? Well, I think we've seen sort of the likes of Cody Bears really got some good momentum behind him now. And he covered a big book this year. I mean, he's only going one way that I can see in the the trainers really like them and the, the market seems to like them. You know, so we're seeing this sort of code momentum behind Kodiak starting to build. You've seen it with our dad um, this year, obviously. And the next one in line, Kassar, he's throwing nice stock and they look like they'll be fast. And of course, he's at the right place in Tally Ho. Um, and, you know, I mean, horses like um, Galileo Gold, I mean, he's done really well. I think surprised a few people. I think he's got five stakes horses, two runners in the Lagardeer this weekend. Um, you know, he, he could he could easily take the next step. Um, it's been a really interesting year with you know, first crop stars, you know, obviously Caravaggio, Chivley Park, and a Churchill seems to be getting plenty of winners. Profitable's getting a lot of winners. Um, and they all they can all sort of serve different sectors of the market. Um you know, obviously Churchill and Caravaggio could go on and become really smart young stallions, cool, more profitable. You have speed influence um, who could end up serving breeders very well at a you know, level of the market. So it's um, this is the time when people are starting to form real judgments on them. And it'll be interesting to see what the market makes of them at Tattersall's um, and, and who's, who's in favour and who isn't. Yeah, it certainly will. And um, there were some very interesting um, inroads, if you like, to young stallions in the States, as I'm sure Nancy will have seen in Kentucky. But we'll just pause to find out a little bit more about that before getting Nancy's opinion, because the Japanese were very active in the market for Justifies at Keeneland. And I just wondered how much that interest in securing not only stock by the US Triple Crown winner, but also by stallions based here in the UK and Ireland may spill over into book one next week. So to find out more, I spoke to the Tattersall's 
Japanese representative Nahiro Goda and started by asking him first about the health of the industry in Japan in the wake of COVID-19. Well, uh, racing has been conducted, had been conducted uh, behind closed doors until the springtime of this year. Uh, since the April, Japan Racing Association had started to have a very limited number of the audience attendance at the race courses. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as wagering on the horse racing, it's, I should say, it's a boom. You know, wagering on the horse racing at NAR, wagering on the horse racing at GRA, both of them are very, very, very good. Because you know, it looks like uh, you know Japanese people who must stay home for for a long period, found something you know something enjoyable which they can enjoy at home, and uh, it looks like uh, many of them find ah uh, oh, horse racing is you know very exciting amusement which they can enjoy at home. So many more people are now enjoying having a bet and watching racing at home. So you know. Betting in this country is really, really good. And, and, ha- and have you uh, had so any sales, uh, Nahiro? Have you had any um, indicators that that has, you know, yeah. that interest has transferred into the market, if you like? Yeah, you know, since July there have been uh, four, excuse me, five major yearling sales in Hokkaido Island, which is a breeding area in Japan. All sales are very market market are very very strong. Um, for example, there was a September yearling sale last week in Hokkaido. All of the gross sale, average price and medium price are, you know, the record of the sale. Yes, you know, domestic bloodstock market has been very, very strong in Japan. Now, I believe the breeders have money to reinvest on their broodmare band. So I hope, you know, uh, I believe many Japanese breeders are now planning to go to new mar- new market for December sale. Well, that is really good news indeed. And, and mm. what about for the yearlings? Is this a market we've seen um, the Japanese invest in traditionally over the last few years? Yeah, you know, at the moment, still there are some travel restrictions. For example, when we return from UK to Japan, we have to spend uh, two weeks isolation for quarantine. So still, um, it's not very easy for Japanese to make a trip to new market uh, for October sale. But, you know, I know many, some major players are planning to buy through, you know, Asian based in England, Asian based in France. Um, for example, Koji Maeda of North Hills, you know, owner of the Deep Bond. For example, he is planning to buy some yelling through his agent in UK. So, yeah, you know, there must be some Japanese interest at the October sale next week at Newmarket. And Nihiro, we've seen from this side of the world the interest in Frankel, for example, and Sol Suring obviously was a, a big flag bearer for him in Japan. What sort of horse do the Japanese look to source when they come to, to book one? Well, uh, you know, the Frankel is still very popular among Japanese owners and trainers. And now, you know, the Kingman is as popular as Frankel here in Japan. Kingman sent uh, Shunero Maista winner of NHK Mile Cup earlier this year, and Kingman sent uh, Elizabeth Tower, winner of the Tulip Stakes. So 
King Mum sent a two very, very nice three-year-old great stakes winner in this country. Um, now many, many Japanese owners and trainers are looking for, looking to buy, you know, nice King Mum to bring them back to Japan and raise them in Japan. And is it um, a kind of miler, miler ten furlong horse that they would look to source? Then does that suit the Japanese racing program? Exactly. Yes, you are right, Gina. Um, for example, King Mum, you know, he's a very, very good miler, and uh, you know, two graded six winners by King Mum in Japan. Both of them are miler, and uh, you know, the King Mum had a brilliant turn of foot. You know, the turn of foot. Uh, in other words, you know, the acceleration on home stretch. This is a very important factor to win races in Japan. So Kingman had uh, this, you know, ton of foot, and his, his progeny had a ton of foot. So this is quite an important factor. Yeah, interesting. And with 43, I think, in the catalogue this year, hopefully there'll be, yep. there'll, be, there'll be plenty of interest from the Japanese buyers. Nahiro, I'm, I noticed there was quite a lot of investment at the top level at Keeneland in justify yearlings from Japanese interests. What can you tell us about yeah. that? Yes. You know, we have seen very few fall by justify and very few yearling by justify at select sale back in July in Hokkaido. And... Uh, all of them are fantastic individuals, very, very nice horses. And uh, two of them are bought for more than million, million pounds. Very good and very expensive. And the many owners and trainers are now, you know, ah, Justify is a very suitable and suitable stadium for Japanese racing. And Justify could be, you know, next Frankello or Kingman. So this is the reason why, you know, the... Japanese buyers are very eager to buy the Justify. And is it quite unusual for them to go for an unproven stallion and, and also a dirt stallion or dirt horse, effectively? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Gina. You know, quite unusual. Uh, Japanese, you know, go for unproven stallion. And, uh, you know, more, almost all the major races in Japan are on turf. Um, you know, Nobody know if justifies horses, you know, can handle a uh, quick ground, a quick pass in Japan or not. But uh, one of the Japanese buyer who bought uh, Justify in Kingland is uh, Hideyuki Mori, the leading trainer in Japan. Hideyuki Mori said, "Ah, I'm pretty sure uh, Justify can handle the Japanese turf track. This is the reason why, you know, I bought uh, many Justify. So we will see." <laughs> Yeah, very interesting indeed, isn't it? And is there a, is there a precedence in Japan? I, I'm just thinking if there was any dirt stallions in particular. Obviously, we've seen dirt stallions come over and reinvigorate the, the breed in the UK many years ago. Has there been success for dirt stallions in the past in Japan? Well, for example, uh, Drefon, Jap- excuse me, Drefon, American champion sprinter in 2016, you know, Drefan started to stand at Shadai Stadium Station, and his first crop is now two. Now Drefan is doing really, really well. He is current leading freshman sire, sending more than 10 winners at JRA, and half of them are winner of the race on turf, including Geo Griff. Geo Griff by Drefan is an unbeaten winner of 
札幌2歳ステーキ、札幌2歳ステーキ、札幌ジュビナイルステーキ、over 9 foot on, on turf。Now, you know, Dresden is sending a tough horse, that horse, miler and sprinter. He's a very, very versatile.、Uh, you know, so Dresden is, you know, recent、uh, example. Of the、yeah. success of the new stadium from America. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be a fascinating、mm. um, trend to watch develop in Japan.、Um, we can't let you go, Nahiro, without asking you as we、uh, look ahead to the arc in three days' time about the Japanese train contenders.、Uh, what's the feeling in Japan? Obviously, it's going to be terribly sad we don't get to see all the fans there this year. But do, do people believe that、um, in chronogenesis they have perhaps the best chance they've had in the history of the race? Well, Good question, Gina. Well, you know, the, both of the chronogenesis and the deep bond, they were slightly different type of the runners, you know, with the Japanese runner in the arc in the past.、Um, you know, the past Japanese contenders are, you know, many of them are by deep impact or by thunder silence, and they had a very good turn of foot, very good finishing speed, but、uh, they struggled. To handle heavy track in Paris, Longchamp. But,、uh, you know, chronogenesis, you know, when she won Takarazuka Kinen by six lengths last year, the track condition was very, very heavy. Or Deep Bond, when he won Hanshin Dai Shoten earlier this year, the track condition was very, very heavy. So, two Japanese contenders in this year's Arc Triumph, both of them, you know, I believe they can handle a Uh, track at Longchamp, even, even you know, track at Longchamp getting deep on Sunday. So, yeah, we hope, you know, we hope both of them run big race for Japan for, on Sunday. Very interesting. And there is rain <laughs> forecast, so hopefully that、um, will be no problem or no obstacle to the two runners. Nahiro, we wish you the best of luck. Um, on Sunday, on behalf of Japan, and also look forward to seeing you at Tassels next week. Thank you very, very much, Gina. So, look, I look forward to seeing you Newmarket next week. And as always, really look forward to seeing Nihiro in Newmarket. He is a fantastic ambassador for Japanese racing. And as we bring Nancy back in, I just thought it was fascinating to hear his thoughts there. I just feel I learned so much about the Japanese industry and, and indeed what they seem to be interested in this year at the sales as well, Nancy. They're, the way the way they breed, you know, they, they enjoy older horses, they enjoy stayers. They've got a very open mind when it comes to, to breeding. You know, like he's talking about Dre Fong there. I mean, if Dre Fong had stood in America, it, it would have been game over being a son of Joe Ponte.、Um, but he went to the right place and people are using him and, and now they're being rewarded. And, you know, that we saw it, he used Sunday Silence as that big advert. No one wanted to use him in the States. They tried to. But、um, you know, he went to Japan and cha- changed the whole industry. So, it's, in that respect, it you know, justifies such a big name. It's no surprise to see them, you know, international buyers latch onto them.、Um, and it'd be interesting、like, to see if they do the same in, in October.、Um, it's,、uh, you know, and, and Frankel as well, and, you know, and, and, and Kingman. It's interesting to hear Nahiro's thoughts on Kingman, you know, the, the turn of foot, and the,、um, which, you know, we see so often over here. But the way Japanese races are, are run, you, you really do need a turn of foot. And、uh, it, it just enhances our brand, doesn't it, to, 
to have them popular not only in Japan, but America as well. Um, it can only do be good for our market. Is that somewhat at odds, however, with taking over a big dirt horse like Justify um, in terms of their running style and what that might produce? It, it seemed curious to me that they, they've landed on, on that horse. It, yes, um, in that respect. I mean, I think if anyone's seen Justify, you know, he is this giant dirt animal. Um, he wouldn't be a typical sort of scat daddy type. Um, but with the whole scat daddy angle and, you know, the parts of his pedigree, there is there are sort of indications that they could work on turf, especially if they, he gets the right mare. Now, I mean, I you know, saw he had 90-odd catalogued at Keeneland, so there's plenty of opportunity to see them. And they are all quite different. Um, you don't don't really get a, a type with him um and i you know it wouldn't be surprising if he did you know covered plenty of very good turf mares covered very, a lot of very good galileo mares wouldn't be surprised a bit like american pharaoh if they came over here or if they went to japan and, and they did well on the turf um i think with that sire line it's even if you go right back to johannesburg and um hennessy they are so versatile and they can run on anything. Well, of course, it goes back to Stormbird, you know. And Johannesburg, of course, stands in Japan now. And, you know, I think he's he's done okay. So, you know, there are lots of different angles and they'll, they'll figure it out. And um, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I, they're probably quite encouraged by how well American Pharaoh has worked out there. Um, but then again, of course, you know, if you, again, if anyone's seen American Pharaoh, you know, mechanics of them, he does have a sort of tough look to him, the way he moves. And he's a, he's a big horse, but he's, um, and, and obviously dirt bred, but he's very light on his feet. And I, I think, I remember reading Bob Baffert saying that he'd, he'd have liked to have tried him on the turf to see how he got on. And um, obviously we're seeing now his stud record, he's doing very well with turf runners. Absolutely. And were there any other um, sort of young US sires, if you like, that caught your eye while you were on the ground there? Obviously, in the absence of, of many of the Europeans being able to go over, you had first-hand look. Well, it was all about City of Light over there. And actually, he outperformed Justify in terms of average at that sale. Um, very good-looking horse. And he's throwing very good-looking stock. And the hype is immense around him. Um, I mean, he stands for 40,000. So to return an average of around 370, I think, for 40 odd sold, I think that's very strong. And yeah, he's got a representative in the October sale owned by Yeguard Centurion. And the same crew have a good magic. And they were nice. And actually, some of those will be coming back to breed. And he's a typical you know, dirt horse, a curlin. But they, they all tend to be very good movers, um, not over big strong horses and it would be interesting to see what this cult in, in the October style is like so I'd say those are the, the, the three that, that stood out and Mendelssohn um, he's, he's throwing nice stock um, and we saw that again at Goss this week um, two of his yearlings sold really well and of course you know he's half brother to Intermistress and another scat daddy so you know there's every reason to think that he could you know work um and Cornwall's other horse, Motown, he only stands for $10,000, but he, he got some nice stock as well. And, you know, he, he might be a sleeper among them all. 
So one by Mendelssohn and one by City of Light. And if buyers do secure either of those yearlings um, and win a qualifying race, or indeed any in the catalogue, they will be the recipient of the £20,000 Tattersall's Book One bonus. And it is especially helpful, of course, if the yearlings purchase price is a very reasonable 32,000 guineas, which was that of mahogany sourced by Sir Mark Prescott at last year's edition. And I started by asking the master of Heath House how he spotted this particular son of Muharram. He was just a nice horse. We liked him. The pedigree was quite strong um, and he was a good goer. He wasn't over big um, and he probably made a bit less there than he would have done in, in, in book two because there isn't quite the number of people working that sale to that level of, of purchase. So uh, he came, as you said, I think it worked out at 33,600 sterling and uh, he's won 19,640 with the Tattersall's 20,000. That's jolly handy. It made it 39,640. So except for my exorbitant training fees, he's he's well in profit. <laughs> and is that something that um, you are considering when you go to book one? Are you actively yes. looking for that sort of horse? Yes, because we, we haven't got the money to buy the Dubawi or the whatever, you know, the Frankel. And so uh, we're, we're, we're looking to, to keep trudging around and, and hope that we can buy value for somebody and a two-year-old type that would, um, that would, um, that would get the bonus because um, that makes it worthwhile. So it's, it's very much a consideration and, and it came off with this horse. Certainly did. And how does the process work for you, Sir Mark? Would you have earmarked this horse pedigree-wise, or is it purely a physical um, thing that when you're going round? No, it's mainly physical and keep flogging round and um, trying to find one that you like that might possibly not meet with everybody else's with all the big guns. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's how we got him. The other type of horse we've got at that sale, not inexpensively, has been completely distinct from the bonus in that you're buying a, a very leggy, weak horse who's, who's perhaps not got quite a strong enough pedigree and, and therefore the bonus wouldn't, wouldn't enter, enter into my mind and I wouldn't probably tick the box. And will the Heath House optimists be back this year looking for something similar? Yes, they'll sell him um, and he ought to sell well. Um, he's been a model of consistency. He's won twice. Four, four times second, placed every start but one. He's just been through a, a group of nice people. He's he's been marvellous, you know, and and hopefully they'll, they'll well they will they'll go back and tr and try and find another. Well, another training powerhouse who will likely be back for more next week are the Crisfords. Ed and Simon, like Jay Lyons, who we spoke to a few weeks ago, have already won multiple such bonuses with three very promising horses in the form of Artois, Fast Attack, and the most high profile amongst them, Cheveley Park Stakes runner-up, Flotus. I spoke to Ed and started by asking him about Artois, who was sourced by the duo's Gainsborough Thoroughbreds. He was just obviously a really nice, uh, uh, really nice physical, um and you know he looked a real sort of racy sort um his uh you know he won really well that day at chester first time out at sandown he, you know he he put up a good performance but he just sort of you know he was just learning that day but you know his second run at chester 
he won by two and a half lengths and no he obviously secured the but one bonus which was fantastic and i think he picked up about 25 grand all in all for for that win um so it was um no really good for the stable and for the owner um you know he runs again today actually at salisbury in in another novice he obviously carries the penalty which is always a little bit tough well i think we'll see how he gets on today before we make any plans what we're going to do with him in the future but you know he's a he's a he's a really nice really nice sort moving forward and you've won two other bonuses we may as well get straight on with flottus who um is so exciting just how um you must have been delighted with the run in the Cheveley park albeit maybe um if things had turned out slightly differently she may have had her head in front um how pleased have you been with her development yeah i mean she's obviously been a turned into a very 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 decent filly um she you know won her maiden uh, at goodwood on the 22nd of may um and you know picking up the book one bonus there you know and obviously that was fantastic for all the syndicate members and uh uh to pick up that bonus and um we obviously went to Ascus, and you know it just slightly went wrong with the ground and you know after that it's just again went to the july meeting and again she was a bit gassy and it just went a bit wrong for her in the middle of the summer but she's come good in her last two races and winning winning listed up at ripon and then obviously finishing second in the chibley park but she's obviously very very exciting filly she's currently the top rated uh two-year-old filly in the country um and i think she's the only you know she's probably the i think she's the only filly in the top 10 on racing so no very exciting yeah and she's been um yeah brilliant addition to the stable good to tick off the book one bonus and then them turn out to be group one level have you got plans mapped out for her towards the end of the season now ed well we're just in discussion uh what we're we're going to do with her i mean there's not much for her here whether we whether we put her away i mean america could be an option for the breeders cup um, but obviously we just got to see how she is and, 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 and the owners, what the owners want to do, but it's, uh, um, yeah, we'll leave, well, I think we'll leave it to them, but she's, she's, she's come out of it. Great. She's come out of the race. Great. She's bounced out of the TV park. So I'm very pleased with her. The way she's named, I imagine that's a factor as well in deciding whether to go to the US. She'd be a brilliant welcome runner, I'm sure, over there. But good luck for the rest of the season with her. And you've got another exciting filly who won a bonus in Fast Attack. Tell us how how uh, excited you are about her this year. Yeah, well, no, she's a really nice filly. Oliver St. Lawrence bought her um, at the sales, obviously, and um, from Bally Lynch. And... Uh, no, she was a really, really nice filly as well. Um, and she won extremely well at Kempton. Uh, and on the 2nd of August. And, you know, she showed she's got plenty of ability. And she ran a really nice race last time out in the conditions at, at Newbury. Very pleased with her. And, you know, obviously she's potentially, you know, we might run her in the Oso Sharp. Uh, group three up here at new markets there's a conditions race a week after as well the week after so haven't quite decided on her but again she's a you know really nice filly moving forward and um yeah as you say she picked up a book one bonus which was fantastic as well so no 
very, very pleased how, how all three have turned out, to be honest. Well, great news that those particular domestic buyers will be back next week for more. And although there are still some restrictions in the world in place, uh, we look forward to welcoming international visitors, of course, as well, and getting underway under largely more normal circumstances, which is welcome news to the Tassels Marketing Director, Jimmy George, who is looking forward to seeing everyone back at Park Paddocks. Life has become an awful lot easier in the last few weeks, and we've had two... um, pretty well normal yearling sales already in the last few weeks. So the Tattersall Somerville yearling sale and the Tattersall's Island September yearling sale. For the first time, we were allowed to open our doors to to all comers. And that's very much the case as we go into one of the October yearling sales. So we're looking forward to welcoming people from, yeah, literally all over the world as usual. And Nihiro mentioned the, the standout Frankels in the Kingmans as being of particular interest to the Japanese buyers. I'm sure they'll be of interest to everyone. And it's very unfair to try and single out horses in such a standout catalogue. But I imagine you're, you're very pleased with the book you've got assembled once again. Uh, it's, it's an extraordinary catalogue, really. I mean, every year people remark on the, the depth of the quality in book one of the October Yearling Sale. And this year is is no exception and um, arguably even stronger than ever and makes the the amazing quality of the stallions we're lucky enough to have in in europe um britain ireland france in particular at the moment so you mentioned a moment ago kingman and frankel their uh, standouts obviously galilei dubawi uh, see the stars lope de vega these are stallions of true world class and they're all battling it out together at the moment but um interestingly of the current top 10 sires in britain and ireland we have yearlings more than half of this year's book one catalog are by uh, the current top 10 british and irish stallions which is extraordinary so there are 502 yearlings catalogued and around 260 of those by stallions currently in the top 10 in Britain and Ireland, which I think is pretty phenomenal and gives an idea of the uh, extraordinary quality that, that people will find next week. And we heard from Jason a few weeks ago on the podcast in, in the wake of a brilliant weekend on Irish Champions Weekend for Tattersall's graduates. How much have you been buoyed again since then by by the success on the track this year? Yeah, it's been an extraordinary year for for. Tannisall's October Book One graduates, not just the three-year-olds and upwards. Quite often people view Book One of the October Yearling Sale as their best chance of buying a classic winner, which it which it very much is. Um, you know, this year flying the flag for the three-year-olds and upwards, we've got Hurricane Lane and Palace Pier and domestic spending in in North America and horses of that ilk. I mean the <clears throat> and and Good Lord, I nearly forgot the, the, the obvious one there in St. Mark's Basilica recently announced that he was retiring to stud. I mean, what an extraordinary horse, you know, and, and just typifies uh, book one and what people come to expect from the sale. The most outstanding individual and beautifully bred and the highest rated three-year-old in the world. It's, uh, it's you know, that's what the sale's all about. But this year, you know, and... Perhaps every year it's sometimes overlooked the quality of the two-year-olds that come from one of the October yearling sale. And uh, <clears throat> we've had an extraordinary run this year as well. Native Trail, who's who's a long way the highest rated two-year-old in Europe at the moment, was bought for 67,000 guineas at last year's 
October, book one. He then went on to the Craven Breeze up sale. So in, in Tattersall's terms, he's got double bragging rights and was bought by Godolphin for 210,000 guineas. So, you know, fantastic result for all concerned. But the likes of Jer Lyons' unbeaten group two winner, Atomic Jones, he was bought for 95,000 guineas last year. Andrew Balding's Coventry winner, Berkshire Shadow, 40,000 guineas. I mean, just extraordinary value. And amongst the most exciting to emerge in the last few few days is um, Aidan O'Brien's unbeaten Beresford winner, Luxembourg, who uh, leapt to the top of um, a lot of classic, I think particularly Derby betting lists for next year when he won the Beresford unbelievably easy, easily the other day. He was bought for 150,000 guineas. It, it's, you know, all of these and, you know, I'm kind of forgetting Royal Patronage, the high clear horse who won the Royal Lodge. He cost only 62,000 guineas at book one last year. So there really is something for everybody at every level of the book one market. And they're going on to find champions at these levels. Exciting times ahead for Jimmy and the whole team at Tattersalls as we get ever closer to book one. Less than a week to go now. And as we bring Nancy back in, as always, we try and um, find out from our guests a pointer or something they're most looking forward to in book one. I know that's very hard to narrow down, Nancy, but what are some of the highlights for you next week? Oh, you have to start with the Newtons Park draft, I think. Um, year in, year out, they you know, present these amazing families and um, yearlings and I think that, you know, the last session, you're opening up with the, the Dabawi half-sister to Vordgeist, which I gather is very, is, is highly regarded. Um, and they've also got a Galileo City out of Al Jazzy, who, um, they, I mean, they paid a million for Al Jazzy, and I gather she's nice as well, obviously. Um, and the Dabawi out of attraction, I mean, that was, that was very bittersweet watching the floor stud horses sell last December. And um, especially after, you know, the support of good October book one they had last year, I thought the yearlings looked absolutely amazing and um, beautifully prepared. And um, she, you know, attraction always tends to throw a, a nice, you know, good looking yearling, considering how, you know, her sort of um, her legs are well documented. Um, but she's, uh, she, yeah, she tends to throw a really good looking um, type. So it would be interesting to see what this year is, is like and hopefully um you know provide another sort of um you know sort of fitting sort of results for you know the Duke of Roxburghs or the late Duke of Roxburgh and um, this team or the team at Falls. So um it, yeah it should be a, a good week hopefully and this you know as the earliest sales are anything to go by then I you know I think we're in for you know a good sale. Well, I hope so anyway. Brilliant stuff. Well, we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you to Nancy. Thank you to all of our guests. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode 13. Thanks for your support along the way with the Bloodstock Bulletin, with Tattersalls. All of the episodes in this mini series and the build up to book one are available where you usually find your podcasts. And of course, we are on the cusp of Europe's premier yearling sale, the Tattersalls October yearling sale, which will take place next week from the 5th to the 7th, kicking off on Tuesday at Park Paddocks. We look forward to welcoming many of you there. It's goodbye for now.